You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. How we doing? Good to see you all. Uh, if you are new, my name is Simon. I am one of the pastors here, and I wanted to welcome you as well. Uh, if you're new and you haven't met me, please come find me. Shake my hand. Say hi. I'd love to hear how you found out about us and just hear more of your story. A uh, couple things going on, just so you're aware. I know we had a lot of announcements, but uh, this next Sunday in your bulletin, you'll see an announcement. Bobby has been on our staff for almost seven years, and we have been so thankful. For, yes. We have been so thankful for her. She is the person that is on the other end of the phone or the other end of the email that you've been dealing with when you come in the front door. Um, she is going to be leaving staff, and so we are going to celebrate her next week. We're going to have, after the second service, we're going to have some food, and we're going to love on her, and we're going to celebrate her. So we'd love for you to join and be a part of that as we go. So for more details on the bulletin, or you can find one of us, and we'd be more than happy to let you know what's going on. So we have been in the book of Ruth, and last week we find that we left uh, Elimelech and Naomi in this spot where they had made a bunch of decisions, right? They had moved forward. They decided, we're going to leave God's people. We're going to leave God's land. We're going to leave being a part of the Abrahamic covenant. And so they kind of just walked away from all that God had given them, all that God had promised them. And they were trying to find their fulfillment, their joy, their hope, their love life someplace else. That's where they were. And I would say this, how often is that our story? That we go and seek joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, acknowledgement someplace other than God. So as you start to look at this story, here's what I want us to do. We've gone from Israel last week and seen that they represent us all the time, right? Well, now we're going to zoom into an individual. And Naomi is just another example of who we are as individuals. And so I'm going to try to paint a a realistic picture. And we're going to try to look at that the best we can. There are some different interpretations. We're going to look at that, but go, where is that with me? So where we left last time was kind of in a dark spot in Naomi's life. We found that she had lost her husband. She had lost her kids. And there was a lot of hurt in her life. But we left in a place of hope, didn't we? Because the thing that we said at the end of that section was, this is not the end of the story. This is the beginning of the story. Because we've entered into the beginning of the story, it means there's a lot more that's going to unfold and that God's not done with Israel. God's not done with Naomi. And God's about to do something amazing for all of the world through this story. And so as this chapter ends in Naomi's life, a new one begins. So what I would love for you to do, if you have a Bible, please open it up to Ruth chapter one. We're going to start in verse six. We're going to have it on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we have Bibles underneath the seats in front of you somewhere in that row. Uh, They're brand new. You're more than welcome to have one and to utilize that. So let's go ahead and start in verse six. We'll read through that. We got house for us today. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. 
But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband if I should have if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabiter daughter-in-law with her who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray and dive into this section of scripture. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this story. Lord, I ask as we explore more in depth of what you wanted us to understand, that you would show us our own lives. You would show us our heart. You would show us um, what's going on within us the way that you deal with Naomi. How Naomi responds is how we respond at times. As we see your covenant, Lord, and your love for your people, that we would see that through Ruth and her response. Lord, if there's anything that's not from me, or not from you, and it's from me, that you would take it away. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use me in mighty ways, that you would speak to your people, that you would encourage them as the God who does exceedingly great things in the lives of people. I love you. Pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So as we pick up where we left off, we see that we're in this really interesting spot, this place that I want us to look at. Like I said, we want to see how does Naomi respond to the circumstances that she deals with. Now, there's something that I want us to understand, uh, something that's kind of like a higher level story writing thing, but the word return is used in some way, shape, or form 12 times in this chapter. 
12 times, that's a lot in this chapter, that the word return is used. Now, if we go back to what we said when we started the story, that Ruth is a small story of God's big story and what he's doing on a cosmic level. So this story, Ruth plugs into the gospel and everything that God has done. So if that is true, the word return becomes really important to understanding God's larger story, which is this, is that God is a God that is calling people ultimately to return back to him. So my first point is going home, going back to where you belong. And it tells us that the women arose and they went to leave Moab to go to Bethlehem. Now, during their time together, they built bonds. They spent 10 years together. They did life together. They ate together. They cooked together. They did work together. They laughed together. They cried together. They did weddings together. They spent a lot of time and that bonded those women together. But it wasn't just that they were doing things together that bonded them. In that culture, in that day, to be married meant that that family became your new family. And there were ties of that family. And you didn't just walk away from family. And so they were united on multiple levels for who they were and what they were like. And it says that they head back. Well, why do they leave Moab? What's the point? Why would they go? Well, they heard that God, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, had visited the Israelites and given them food and the famine was over. Now, we talked a little bit last week about the cycle of sin and how that revolves around in the people of Israel, right? So they were in a time where they had sinned and they had rebelled and there was judgment that came and then there was repentance and then there was deliverance. And so where they are now, Israel is in this time of peace because they have the harvest, the famine has been removed, and that they're able to have a time of peace. And there was nothing in Moab for Naomi at that time. Her husband's gone. Her kids are gone. All these choices that they thought were good in that moment, they weren't good. They found that they were chasing after short-term physical things. That it wasn't worth the decisions they made because ultimately it failed them. And they were in a very desperate spot. Now it's hard to know the motivation of Naomi, okay? And there's a couple of different camps and what the motivation is. And we'll explore those because I think it's good for us to talk about one of the motivations is that she just really loves these women a lot. Okay, so that's one view. The other view is that there is some underpinning, selfish ideas of why she would do what she's doing in that. We'll, we'll look at those. But what I want to do is I'm going to use the totality of the entire passage to help understand where we land. And a lot is going to come from the back end of the story to kind of understand where we are. Now, <clears throat> We need to know that um, we can't make Naomi a hero because Jesus is our hero, right? God's our hero. And we can't make her a villain. I think that we can swing the pendulum both sides. And I don't want to do that because I think that Naomi represents us at times where there's a mixture of both things going on, isn't there? That at times we make decisions, we want to do good, we want to make good choices, but unfortunately because of the way that we view God and our understanding of him and understanding his values, we try to make good decisions and they end up in bad situations. But it's not that she's some evil, wicked person who, who hates everything. I think that she's wicked and evil because we're all wicked and evil and we're broken. But she's not the villain and she's not the hero. She's just a lot like us. And so my second part is loving like the world versus loving like God. 
Now, at some point early in their journey back to Bethlehem, Naomi changes her mind about what's happening. She starts changing her mind about why, like, we're all going back to Bethlehem, but they start the journey, and then she decides that she wants to do something different. Now, I want to go on record and say I believe that Naomi loved Orpah and Ruth with all of her heart. She absolutely adored these young women. There is nothing that the text shows that she didn't. She absolutely cared for them tremendously. And we'll see why and their response as they get there. But what I do believe is that as she was trying to love these women well, because she, her view of God had changed in some way, instead of giving really good advice, she gives poor advice. And she starts giving worldly advice. And I think that's where we start to see these things change. She says, go back to your mother's home. Leave me. Be with your family. May God deal kindly with you. Now, that word kindly is hased. And so that word hased is always used to describe God and his love for us. That's how that word is used. It's a loyal love, an unfailing kind of love, kindness, goodness, often used of God's love and his is related to faithfulness to his covenant. Which is interesting because there's a contrast with, we'll see later, with Ruth's love and what she does with that love as she wants a kind response from God to her, a hased kind of love. We see ultimately that that's exactly what Ruth shows in the story. And then he, she says, may, may God show you the same love that you've shown me as I've gone through a difficult time, as I've gone through a hard suffering and it's probably not even over, that God would deal kindly with you because you have dealt kindly with me. You have loved me well through my situation. Is it not a blessing when you are suffering and you are going through pain when God sends someone alongside that loves you well? Isn't it just so refreshing to know that you are not alone and that someone cares for you? She says, I want God to bless you with a husband. I, 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 want, I want your life to be happy. I want you to have a happy life. That you would have a place that you can call your own. And as she says this, it says that the women start crying. That they raise their voice in wailing and sadness. See, they understand the hand that's been dealt to them. They understand how hard the situation is. As these young women probably had hopes and dreams for their life as well, Orpah and Ruth are now like, this is not how I planned my life to go. This is not what I was expecting. It's not ideal. See, they understood that the road before them was full of difficulties, and that it really wasn't going to be comfortable at all. It was the opposite of comfort. It was full of lots of pain and hardship. So what we see is that the response is intriguing from these young women. What's the response? They say no. Both of them, by the way. No, both of them. Both Orpah and Ruth both say, no, we will go with you. And then Naomi starts to make her case for why they shouldn't go. So you need to understand that marriage in that culture, it's a bit different than marriage is now for us today. It's just not really the same thing. And in that day, in that age, marriage is really important to the survival of the family and the individuals. It wasn't an individu individualistic society. It was a communal society. That's how they operated. Everything was done together, then all contributed in that society. 
So when someone's husband died, it was common if there was a brother that wasn't married, that brother would then marry that woman. You're like, that seems weird. It does seem weird in our culture. It's not something we do. Like, my brother's not going to marry my wife if I pass away. I'd feel weird about that. And she already told me I'd feel weird about that. So it's just, it's different. Okay, we get that. But you have to understand that in that culture, that's what sustained life. That that was what's going to protect the wife. It's going to protect the children. It's going to protect the family. It's going to protect the family line, the family name, the money, and the land. It was all connected. And so for that to happen was a very kind thing that would happen so someone wouldn't get left off in the margins and not be able to be taken care of. So all of this was for care and protection. Now with that understanding... Naomi walks them down the road of what will most likely happen to them if they follow her. And she says, like, I have no other sons to marry. I got nothing. I got no husband. I got no kids. Like, we're done here. And she's like, so let's just say, like, let's just say I found a guy tonight and we got married. Like, I don't even know if I can have kids. I'm getting older. I don't know if that's possible. But she's like, let's just say I found a guy tonight. I get married. I can have kids. There's no guarantee that I'm going to have a boy. I could have a bunch of girls. So, but let's just say for the argument's sake that all those things happen. Find a guy, get married, can have kids, do have a boy. How long are you waiting? Are you going to wait the... See, it's not like you think, oh, 20, 30 years. Well, it's, it's a lot longer than that in that day and age. So are you going to wait the 13, 15 years? You're like, that's weird. Yep. And so are you going to wait that long until that person's an adult and can get married? She's like, come on. This isn't realistic. This isn't going to work out the way you want it to go. And most likely, it's just not going to work out, period. And you're going to be left alone for the rest of your life. It's interesting as you... As you start to look at this, it feels as though Naomi doesn't believe that God can do the impossible in this situation to a certain degree. That there's a lack of God being able to show. Now, can you blame her? Let's just be realistic. Like, I don't have a husband. I don't have kids. It's a hopeless situation. And so in this moment, I think she's sitting in that. She feels that. I think, I think most of us would most likely respond in a similar fashion if I, someone was to say that. She's being a little bit more pragmatic in how she makes her decisions. Well, then she starts to show her heart a little bit more, and the word bitter comes up. That word's going to reoccur a couple more times as we go down the line. And she makes this comment about how the Lord's hand has gone out against her. Now, again, pulling from the end of the passage, I think we're seeing the door crack on the heart of Naomi and what's really going on inside of her that she believes at some level that God is literally against her, that, that God is not for her, that God is some kind of mean God who doesn't love her or only wants to punish her in some way because she didn't do what she needed to do. Now, I would say, I do believe that she absolutely uh, believed in God, loved God, the God of the universe, Yahweh, that what I believe is what happened was this. In her time in Moab, see, she was existing in a monotheistic society. We worship one God. That's what that means. Now where is she? In a polytheistic society. Many gods. We even see that in the text. Go to your gods, S. 
that they worship tons of gods. Now, she's away from people that worship God. She's away from people that would call her back to how to live for God. She's away from being in a place where they would actually read any of the scriptures that they actually have during that time. She's away from the ability to worship in that society. What do you think is going to happen to your faith and your view of God as you're removed from all of that? What do you think it's going to do to you? Do you think that you're going to start to compromise what you believe? Do you think you're going to start maybe mixing different uh, thoughts and views and values into your values? Is that not what we see happening all the time in society today? As the world tells you what to believe and how to act and where to go and what's good and what's right, that we start to, we start to blend this in. We take a, a little bit of what we know about God and a lot of what we know about the world, and then we try to like combine them in some way like they're going to be working out. It's uh, a good example. Is I, I hate it when Christians say, oh, man, that's bad karma. I'm like, do you know what that means? Because you're saying something that everyone says all the time. And the idea of karma is just this. If I do something bad, something bad will happen to me. If I do something good, something good will happen to me. Well, the Bible tells us that we are totally depraved and wicked, that there's nothing uh, righteous in us whatsoever. So what does that mean that we deserve then? Everything bad. So it makes no sense at all that a Christian would say, oh, that's bad karma, because we know that we are hosed, that we are judged for sins, that we will stand before God, that he does nothing but to give us his wrath, and that would be justified that we would receive that. It's a total lack of understanding of the gospel, which is grace from God, grace alone through God, that we have any salvation whatsoever. It's not our own doing so that no one may boast. And so in this moment, what happens to the women? They hear this information. It's processing on them, and they start to weep again. You know why? Because they realize they will never see each other again. We have the luxury of phones and Zoom calls and pictures and all sorts of social media, and they have nothing. That relationship is going to die in that moment and they loved each other, and they wept. And we see that Orpah grabs her stuff, she hugs Naomi, she kisses her, and then she leaves. Now, I'm going to put some of my cards on the table here. There's things about this story that, that just bother me tremendously about this story, and, I, and I'll, let me walk you through it. These women had been around this family. In some way, shape, or form, they had heard about who God is. They have heard about Yahweh, whether that was the stories they told at dinner, whether that was the histories they would talk about what God had done to the Israelites, whether that was how their wedding was done. There's all these things that could have been, right? And they were around that in some way. And they had had a glimpse of the one true God of the universe. And what we see is that Naomi thinks that she is doing something kind and loving by meeting these, these uh, social needs, these tangible needs of marriage and of kids. She says, you need to go away. You need to go to your people, to your pagan lands, to your pagan gods, because then at least you'll get kids and a husband. And I struggle with this. Because the reality is, is it better to know God and be single for your entire life or to be married and never know God? Do you realize what she's saying? 
Go away. You go do this. She is, she is using the world's standards instead of God's standards in this moment. It, she, she has truth. How loving is it to have truth and then not share that truth with somebody? See, again, I think that she loves them. I know that she loves them. But yet her view is so warped and her standards have changed over these 10 years to where she's saying, this is what's going to be best for you. And we know that that's not best for her. If we're talking about eternity, these 50 years, maybe, are no comparison what it means to know the God of the universe. And the saddest part for me of this section of the story is that we never hear about Orpah again, do we? She never comes back up. Did she ever come to know the one true God of the universe? I don't know. I don't know. But I will say this, based on how the story lays out, the contrast of how Ruth responds would lend to say that she never did. Which leads me to the loyalty of Ruth choosing the narrow road. The last line of verse 14 is so good in this section, but Ruth clung to her. That's the section that it starts out with, that there was something different about Ruth in some way, shape, or form. Something had happened to her heart while living among Naomi and Elimelech. She had changed. She wasn't willing to give that up. She wasn't willing to leave. Naomi says, no, 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 no. You need to leave like your sister-in-law. And she starts kind of using heartstrings and emotions to kind of build that case. You need to go back to your people, your gods, what you know, what's familiar to you. And what she's really doing is building a case of go to what's comfortable. Go to what we know is safe. You don't want my God. You don't want to be where I'm at. You don't want to follow me. And what, really what happens in this moment is that Orpah and Ruth had to make a choice. It's very similar to what we saw Jesus talk about in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. That we get this wide and narrow gate case that's being made. See, Orpah took the comfort route. She went to what she knew. There was no risk that was involved. It made sense, so she did that. But Ruth makes this choice to go down the hard road, the narrow road. Now, why would she do that? Well, I always say this. Like, if, if you know that that narrow road is hard to go down and it leads to a dead end, why would you go down it? You wouldn't, right? Because she knows that it's worth it in the end that there's something better at the end of that road that is worth the pain and the suffering and the anguish. She wants this new identity, and, and she talks about it in verses 16 through 17 in our main section. She says this, 
<clears throat> but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. It's a very bold and powerful statement. Everything about her life is like, I want this new identity. I don't want who I used to be. I don't want my old gods. I don't. She, she says, go to your gods. He says, I will follow your God. One. Like she understands what she's saying. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will go. Your people will be my people. I want to be a part of your people. I want what they have. And if you're like, well, what's the whole getting buried thing where you're at? Like, that's actually important in that, in that society, in that day, in that age, where you were buried actually reflected what you believe and who you worshiped. So I'm going to be buried in the land of the God of Yahweh is what she's saying. That's really what she's getting at. She understood what she was saying. And I just, I love this idea that at some point she had been around this family long enough to hear enough about God that God was going to use whatever they shared with her to save her. And what she is doing in this moment is she's making a vow, just like a marriage, until death do us part. That's what she's saying in that moment. How do we know that she wants to follow God? You're like, Simon, I think you're going a little extreme on this. I'm not. And here's why. When she makes the vow, who does she reference? Capital L-O-R-D. That is the name Yahweh. It is the proper name for God. She knew exactly who she was talking about. She knew exactly who she was worshiping. And she knew exactly who she wanted to be under. That's what she's saying. She understood it. She makes this, this vow. And it's, it's crazy that Ruth is stepping out in faith in God and risking everything for him. She is a picture of the Hased love that Naomi was just asking that God would give to her. And God chooses to use a foreign woman to be a picture of the covenant that God has with Israel. That's what she's doing in this moment. It's crazy as God is different from us, yet we have this, he comes to be a part of us, that he's going to use Ruth to show that covenant love, that Hased love to her, that when she said, I do in that marriage, she was in, and she is not giving up. And that is the God that we worship, a God that does not abandon us, that does not leave us, that does not forsake us, that follows us and is with us always, no matter what. And the story starts to get set up of like, what is God going to do through this woman, Ruth? How, how is God going to work through just this one life in some way that's powerful? What can God do in this pagan's life? How can God love someone outside of his people? Well, as the story unfolds, we're going to see how God views this woman, how he deals with this woman, and how he views us as well by the end of the story. Now, you would think that Naomi would be pretty, pretty excited. Like, this foreign pagan woman now worships our God. Hooray, let's sing praise. But it says that she said nothing. Now, it could have been that she's like, I don't, I'm not going to argue about this anymore and I'm done. Or it could have been, I'm frustrated. 
because it reveals something else about her heart. Uh, my fourth point is call me Mara, bitterness of a broken heart. Now, we have to remember that Naomi has to go back to her hometown. Uh, we know that Bethlehem was not a big town. It was a very small town. Um, if you've ever been a part of a small town, everyone knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's stuff. That's just the reality of it. Like they all know what you did and where, who you dated and what happened here and when you did these things. So all of this stuff, it's not like you just go to a big city and blend in. There is no blending in that's going to happen. She traded spiritual things for physical things. That's what she did. Her and her husband. They both gambled on a better life away from God and his people and that gamble failed. She would have to leave with a family and come back with a foreigner. That is not the picture that she was hoping to paint. Now, again, I don't know all the motives here, but just play it out a little bit. You go away, you come back with nothing. You went away to a land that you shouldn't have gone to. There was no love for the Moabites and the Israelites and vice versa. You left God as people to promise the land that he gave you, the covenant that you were supposed to be a part of, to go seek something elsewhere. You come back with nothing, and then you bring this foreign woman back, saying, oh, well, this is who was married to my dead son. So you left, and then you like, loved your kids so much, you let them marry foreign women that had foreign gods and a different way of worship. Do you not think that that's going to highlight her and her decisions every time they see her? As a matter of fact, they would refer to Ruth in the majority of the book as Ruth the Moabite. It's a title, it's not, and it's not a pleasant one. It's a negative connotation. It's saying, you're different from us. You're not like us. You don't belong here. Do you not think that it would have been easier to have her two daughter-in-laws be back where they belong so when you came back, it would, it would mitigate the pain, the hurt, and the suffering? Like, could you imagine the anxiety of the trip going home to your hometown after all this failure? The, like the emotional bag that you would have to deal with of embarrassment and shame and hurt and wondering about judgment? And since when she comes into the small town, the whole town was stirred up. It was a great commotion. Or the Bible would say that the town was in uproar. Like, whoa! They see her. They're like, is that Naomi? It's been 10 years. Maybe like, where's Elimelech? Where are the boys? I think that's going to feel. And she's by herself with this woman that they don't know who she is. And I'm sure after 10 years, physically, she would just look different. After 10 years, I mean, after 10 years, I, I think I look different. Um, good or bad or in between, it's, who cares? But do you not think that all the pain, the suffering, and the hurt, and the anguish hasn't had a physical toll on her body? You ever meet someone who's gone through a lot, and they see it on their face? You can see the face that's worn down and broken, that's weathered. You add that on top of a 135-mile walk, you know how haggard she would have looked? And in that moment, she responds very interesting to them. She says, do not call me Naomi. Remember what the name means? Pleasant or sweet. Instead, she says, call me Mara, which means bitter. 
she has been chewed up by this world and spit out. She says, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And then she says some things that are just not true. We have a very interesting way of looking at history sometimes and how we depict ourselves and what's going on in history. She says, I went away full, but I came back empty. Did she go away full? <laughs> no way. If you were full, why did you leave? Why would you take off? Why would you go on this journey if you were so full, if your heart was so full and so wonderful, why would you go? Well, because what happened in that moment, we're seeing what her idols were. It was family, it was security, it was a lineage, it was kids. Those were her idols. And those idols failed her because now they're all gone. See, she thought my life was complete. I had everything that I needed. Based on what the world says, I had everything. We do this so often. We take our cues from the world. Think if I just have, you know, this house, this car, this job, this payroll, these kids, this look, this whatever, then I'll be full. Well, our story is telling us that no. Fullness and emptiness revolves around our relationship with God. That's what determines what is full and what is empty. So she says, I came back empty. She left empty and came back empty. She just didn't realize it in that moment. See, her, her, her view of God was so distorted and off base that, I mean, think about this. Her and her husband made decisions to go do this thing. They made these choices to leave didn't go the way they wanted to go. She said the word, the word calamity, to afflict, to cause great unhappiness for or distress. That's what she uses to describe what's happened to her. So she makes all these decisions. They all go sideways. And what does she say? This is God's fault. I mean, we don't ever do that. that we would never do something like that in our own lives, Right? We make decisions. We want to be in charge. We want to be the captain of our ship. We want to be behind the wheel. We're going to do what makes us happy. And then when all of those things ultimately end up going sideways, what do we say? God, why would you let this happen to me? Like, oh, excuse me? You said you wanted to go do what you wanted to do. I told you that if you did these things, they would end this way. And then they ended that way. And now you're blaming me for making these choices. Is this not exactly what we do all the time with God? When, when we are in these situations, do you know how hard it is to see any good in our life? Like it's, she missed so much of what God had done. Like God's hand was on her life the entire time. God gave her a husband. God gave her children. God gave her protection on the road. God provided the food that they need. God gave her wonderful daughter-in-laws. God allowed her to hear the news that God's hand was back on the people in Moab. He didn't have to do that. No knowledge would have stayed there for forever. Do you see how God is actively in her life and God is pursuing her and calling her back to come home? Like that's God's grace. That's God's love in her life. And if you think of the story of Naomi 
and the prodigal son, they really kind of start jiving, don't they, a little bit? The main difference is this, how they come back. The prodigal son, he comes back broken and contrite. He comes to ask for forgiveness. Naomi comes back broken and bitter. And her, her bitterness is directed where? It's towards God. See, so often we can take our bitterness and it's easier to point it at somebody else or something else than it is to point at like, am I responsible for some of these decisions? Am I responsible for the choices that I've made in my life? See, Naomi is a great example of us as a people. We tend to follow comfort in life and safety in life. We want to make all these choices. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We get focused on our problems and miss all that God is doing. We make all of our choices. Things go sideways. But yet what we see is that God continually extends grace to his people. Exodus 15. I want to go back in time a little bit. Okay? Israelites in Egypt. They're slaves. God hears their cries because they're his people. He sends the plagues and he saves his people. He preserves his people. He gives them the Passover so that those sons, those firstborn sons won't die. He gets them out of that area. He actually gives them all the plunder and the loot of the Egyptians. He takes them to the Red Sea. He lets them cross on dry land. He saves them from the armies of Pharaoh. And we find in Exodus 15, that's where we find the Israelites. They're wandering around looking for water. You've got somewhere between 500,000 and a million people wandering in the desert looking for something to drink. And it's three days of not finding water. And that's where we enter this story. And they find a town. They go into this town, uh, this, or this land, this region, and they find water. And they're very excited and they go to the water. But what happens? The water is bad. It's not safe to drink. As a matter of fact, the word they would use to describe the water is bitter. And so what do they do? They start complaining to God. Well, they complain to Moses to complain to God for him. Hey, What's up with God? Why did he take us out of here? He's not even providing for us. And they start saying that God is not providing for us. God is not caring for us. God doesn't love us. Now, God could have been like, you know what? And we're done here. Have a nice life. I'll see you later. But he doesn't. As a matter of fact, what he ends up doing is he has Moses take this log and he throws it into the water and the water becomes sweet. Do you know what the name of that region is that they found that water in? It's Mara. See, this is our story of sin, isn't it? That God made us and we were meant to be with him and life was good and we were sweet and it was pleasant. And then sin came along and ruined everything and it became very bitter and it became very bad. But then God makes it sweet again. So we have two things happening here. One, we have an, it's alluding to what's going to happen into Naomi's life, who now wants to be called Mara, that God is going to make her sweet again in some way. But it's also showing who we are, that because of Jesus Christ, where we were far from God because of sin, 
He is going to redeem us. He is going to save us. He is going to go to the cross for our sins, die for those sins, and he gives us his righteousness, which makes us sweet before the Lord. And this is the gospel story that we have. This is what God does with us. We turn our back on God. We run from God. We try to do life on our own. And God keeps saying the same thing, like the same thing he says in this chapter 12 times. Return to me. Come back to me. Come home. Do you know what home, why home is so great? It's not a magical location. It's a people that there are brothers and sisters and family there that provide and protect and care. And God is saying, come back to me. Come back to your people. God didn't just save us to God. He saved us to each other as well. It is so important that we do life with other believers all the time. He loves us so much. I don't know where you are, but chances are some of you maybe feel like Naomi. Maybe your life, your cup, your heart is empty. Do you see what God is saying? Come to me and I will fill you up. Maybe you're just bitter about all that's happened in your life and you're directing that bitterness someplace else and God is saying, are you bitter? I can make your heart sweet. I can bring you joy. I can bring you fulfillment. I can give you purpose. Come back to me. Turn to me. Call out to me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, be like Ruth. Hear of the goodness of the Lord and turn to him. See, the story of God is a God that cries out to his people, return, return, return. God is for the wayward. God is for the lost. God is for the hurt and the broken and the bitter. My question is, where are you in life? Are you here today because God is calling you back to him? Because he is. Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. It is not based on what you do. It's based on what he did. And the story is going to end in this section in chapter 1 with this statement. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That the harvest was a time of joy, a time of being sustained, a time of being able to make it through another season, a time of life and joy. And so we end this section seeing how God deals with those that are wayward knowing that there is a bigger hope coming. And we're going to see what God's going to do in this story that's going to revolve around this harvest and how he's going to make this Naomi sweet again. Let's pray.